This is the Deep Dive with Brooke Spector. And yes, it is. This is Brooke Spector, and we're going to be in conversation now with Pakamili Hubi Majola, spokesperson for NUMSA. And Pakamili, I hope you heard my introduction and my invitation to you to speak more broadly than the specifics of individual or particular union demands or uh, objections to various issues, and to take that deeper look, that bigger picture of what needs to be done to, to rebalance or to balance uh, economic growth in this country and opportunity for that large majority of people who at this point seem not to have much of an opportunity. Uh, let me invite you now, join with us. Good morning and good morning to your listeners. Thank you for having me on your show. I, 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 I'm, if you could just repeat the question, what exactly would you like me to respond to? What I would like you to say, with, given your union, organize, your union background, but thinking more broadly, what are the key issues, what are the key things that must be done now going forward to make this a more equitable and more efficient and more effective society for the vast number of people who at this point have very little to claim in the way of income or wealth or opportunity, um, much more than simply your union members, but the the much broader collection of individuals in this country uh, who look around them and realize that they don't seem to have much of a handhold. Well, the most urgent thing that we need to tackle is inequality. And I think this is the one thing that the ANC government has steadfastly refused to deal with in, in this country. There is a lot of focus um, on, on, on other things, but the actual burning crisis in South Africa is extreme levels of inequality. We are the most unequal society in the world in post-apartheid South Africa. And that is an indictment against this government because this is a government that literally came from the liberation movement as a result of the demands that the working class were making during the dark days of apartheid. Black people were fighting for, for equality. They were fighting for freedom. They were fighting for an improved quality of life. They wanted access to education, to quality education. They wanted access to quality health care. And in 2022, black people are still fighting for the same thing. And they live in absolute squalor, in shacks, in our townships. And those shacks uh, are growing every single day. So the one thing that the South African government under the ANC has failed to do is to intervene radically in the structure of the economy in order to equalize society in a meaningful way. What they've been doing is listening to right-wing economists who tell them that they should sell state-owned entities, um, who tell them that they should deindustrialize for the benefit of Western markets. And what that has done is it has left black people poorer today or as poor as they were under apartheid. So there's not been a meaningful change in the lives of the majority of black people in this country since apartheid. I hear what you're saying, but my my concern or my 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 worry perhaps is that given the rather sorry track record 
of the, the many government owned entities in the country, whether it be airlines or uh, in, in one or two cases, mining operations or railroads or even the armaments industry and a whole range of other ones uh, that chain dealing with those institutions and expanding them is simply going to allow for inefficient, costly organizations to absorb even more resources rather than provide the opportunity for more equality and more opportunity for the majority of people, which you quite rightly point to as being dramatically underserved by the current circumstances. What would you do in a specific sense? How would you reform those institutions without selling off or creating public-private partnerships uh, with them in an effort to write them and to make them more efficient, effective, and con uh, contributing to the economy? I need to hear some. I need some specifics uh, about what we should do. First of all, I think we need to change our minds on this assumption that by privatizing them, they would be more efficient. I think we've already demonstrated that that's not true. And so I'll give you a very specific example of SAA, which prior to business rescue um, and its collapse was contributing more than 40,000 jobs along the value chain in South Africa. There is not a single airline, in the privately owned airline, that has the same impact as SAA and they never will be because the private sector simply doesn't have the capacity or the vision to implement a developmental agenda, which is what the purpose of state-owned entities, that is their role. They drive a developmental agenda. It's not just about an airline. It's not just about a power utility expo. The purpose of a state-owned entity is to build industries, to build sectors, to develop value chains so that commercial activities can occur. And um, when you look at the original uh, role of state-owned entities under the apartheid government, if you look at, for example, ArcelorMittal, which in the past was ISCOR, uh, which is a state-owned steel company, is that these entities were created for the benefit of the white working class to guarantee that white workers had jobs. As they leave school, they have um, opportunities, whether it's in the steel sector, which is what ISCOR was developed for, and part of ISCOR's existence was to uh, ensure and support the South African economy uh, the South African steel sector, and at the same time, the Port Expo. Um, SAA had a similar role. So what this government should have done was definitely to expand those SOEs in order to create jobs and absorb the African working class um, in its attempt to transform the South African economy. There is no private company that has an interest in transforming the economy and allowing black people to play an active role. That is not the goal of private sector. The goal of private sector is to drive a profit motive. That's all they're interested in. They're not interested in ensuring that women get opportunities. They're not interested in ensuring that black people get opportunities. 
They're not interested in growing a value chain. That's not their job. Their job is to private is to, is to make money. And and when a government does not um, have that agenda in its mind and does not use SOE in that manner, then of course we'll, we will see suffering, which is what we're seeing at the moment. If you compare, for example, countries like China, where the Chinese government has actually taken those deliberate steps, where SOEs are actively playing a role in building the Chinese economy and creating jobs on a massive scale, which is why the Chinese economy is dominating right now. They're a perfect example of how uh, state-owned entities can be a success. Our problem here is that our government listens to right-wingers in the private sector who told them that they should sell these SOEs for the benefit of the private sector, which is what this government is doing. We are now experiencing unemployment on a scale never seen before. And um, the economy is not growing uh, because that is not the job of the private sector. The job of the private sector is not developmental. That is the job of government. Part of the challenge, uh, I, I, I spent a fair amount of time looking at China as a, as a case study and even more time looking, as you know, at Southeast Asia and Japan, having lived there for many years. One of the things that people sometimes misanalyze with regard to China is the role of the private sector as the as the actual job creator in China. Uh, the big impetus from China has always been, at least since Deng Xiaoping's time, has been pushing capital that is money saved by individuals or from government taxes into banks, which then lend it to private organizations to do their growth, to do their hiring of people. The thing that troubles me here is that I see a perfectly reasonable state-owned enterprise like SAA or ESCOM, which in theory should be able to both grow to produce what would in other circumstances be referred to as a, as a profit, and then to in, reinvest those profits in further growth. And what I see instead is efforts by individuals to milk those institutions for personal gain rather than for growth potential. I mean, ESCOM, for example, higher, now has more people on its payroll and produces less electricity per, per capita than it did 25 years ago. And that clearly was not the purpose of ESCOM. SAA at this point, if you look at its valuation, the way the government has arranged for its sale, uh, it's basically worth about a dollar and a half, about 10, what was it, 10 and a half rand. It, if you subtract its, its, its deficits, and that doesn't count all the money that was given to it over the years as subsidies. So I'm, I'm not sure the distinction is as simple as public versus private. What would your reaction to that be? I think there's some, there are some, there's a narrative in the media, which, as, and I think I want to just quickly hone in on ESCOM, which unfortunately is a very false narrative that has been peddled in the media about how the wage bill at ESCOM is somehow so excessive that it is uh, playing a role in, in the collapse of ESCOM or uh, having an impact on ESCOM's balance sheet. 
And I noted that that you you sort of touched on that yourself, and I think I need to clarify that because it's not true. There are 28,300 workers uh, in the Central Bargaining Forum. And for the last five years, since 2016, the wage bill at ESCOM has remained flat. It has not gone beyond, if you include the excessive uh, and very generous packages of, of CEOs and COOs, it has not gone beyond 33 billion rands. And it has remained there, and in fact, its cost declined by 483 million in the last year. But when you look at other expenses, and this is where you and I can agree, is that indeed there is an agenda where the ESCO management is willing to spend a lot of money funding what we would call bloated, even questionable coal and primary energy contracts that are way beyond what ESCOM can afford. So whilst workers' wages have remained at $33 billion, and even our wage demands for the following year will only cost ESCOM 1.2 billion rand, in, in comparison, when you look at what ESCOM has spent on primary energy, the, for example, the cost of primary energy increased from 85 billion rand in 2017-2018 to 116 billion rand for the, uh, for the year 2021-2022. There was a 31 billion rand increase over four years just in, them, in, in the increases that they paid towards primary energy. And those are all privately owned coal companies that are benefiting from ESCOM. When we asked ESCOM to, 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 to declare to us in the Central Bargaining Forum these contracts to show us who are the people who are benefiting from these contracts, what are these contracts about, they claim that they cannot and they refuse to disclose to us, even though this is a state-owned entity where public money is being spent. Other things, for example, if you look at the fact that the monies that have been spent in serving the independent uh, power producers, ESCOM overspent on diesel OCGTs by a whopping $9 billion, and the total and the total cost in relation also to IPPs was also, also uh, extreme. So the point I'm trying to make is that, and the point that NUMSA has been trying to make, is that there's a lot of focus on workers' wages, as if workers' wages somehow have a, a role to play in SOEs. They certainly do not. Where we see a problem is there's a lot of wastage, there's a lot of corruption in the procurement expenditure, and there is no political will, either from the ANC-led government, whose employees are the ones who are responsible for running these entities, whether we're talking about ministers in departments or representatives that they appoint to the board. There's no political will to deal with those expenses. Those bills can continue to increase even if they're collapsing the entity, but they will focus heavily on workers' wages, benefits and conditions, and they'll take from workers. And that's what has been happening. And that was the case even at SAA, where 3,200 jobs were lost, and yet billions were spent on lawyers, business rescue practitioners, and expensive consultants. And I think it's very important that as we look at how we transform the South African economy, we must look at what is the ideology and the intent of government. If we do not intervene directly in transforming the lives of people and tackling inequality by changing 
the power relations between black people and white people, unfortunately, we will make no headway in transforming the lives of the majority of people. Pakamili, I'm going to have to let that be your last word. I look forward to talking with you again soon. We'll, we'll go into this in more detail. Uh, I think we can agree without question that there is a major crisis which needs to be dealt with uh, and dealt with with some degree of alacrity uh, for the longer term economic and political stability of the country. But it was a pleasure to have you on air with us again. Thank you very much.